If you take your Bibles, turn along with me to uh, Ruth chapter 3 this morning. Ruth chapter 3. Everyone loves a good story about an engagement. Best decision of my life, short of me trusting in the Lord Jesus, was asking Leanne to marry me. And she said yes. Everyone's story of engagement is a little different, but I guarantee you it's not as different as this one. (laughs) Ruth chapter 3. For one, Ruth is doing the proposing. Well, this is all in keeping with God's sovereign plan for Ruth, for Naomi, for Boaz, For King David and for the Lord Jesus Christ, from whom he would descend. God's sovereignty is all throughout the book of Ruth, but it's in the shadows. It's in the background. It's not front and center. It's not pushy. It's not center stage, but it is present nonetheless. Some have said that the book of Ruth presents God behind the scenes. Or another way of saying it is that it is God who is behind the scene, what is seen. And that's really true. Let me just remind you thus far where we're at in the story as we come to Ruth chapter 3. A Jewish man named Elimelech and his wife Naomi live in Bethlehem, which is going to prove important to the larger story that is being crafted here and being told of what God is doing in the lineage of King David and ultimately of the Lord Jesus Christ, future Messiah. Well, Famine strikes Judah and the hometown of Elimelech and Naomi, and so they make the decision to move with their two sons to nearby Moab, where there is still food. Moab, being a pagan place, Moab being under Canaanite rule, while in Moab, Fighting for their survival, Elimelech dies, Naomi's husband. Well, Naomi's two sons soon take wives for themselves, a lady named Orpah and a lady named Ruth. But tragedy strikes Naomi again when her two sons die, leaving Naomi a widow in a foreign land with two daughters-in-law who are now also themselves widows. Three widow women. The famine in Judah finally ends 
And Naomi decides to return to her homeland after 10 years of living in Moab. Naomi pleads with her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, to go back to their parents to remain in Moab where they, their futures are far more secure, where the, it is likely that they will be able to remarry some nice Moabite men and have a second chance at a life. Orpah and Ruth protest. They want to stay with Naomi. They've developed a bond with her, but with further pleading from Naomi, Orpah finally decides to return to the home of her parents in Moab. Ruth, however, is determined to stay at Naomi's side and return with her to Bethlehem. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Well, Naomi and Ruth return to Bethlehem, and the women of the town can't believe their eyes when they see Naomi. Is this the same Naomi who left here? Naomi has aged. Naomi no longer has a husband. Naomi no longer has two sons, and now she's accompanied by this strange Moabite woman, Ruth, can this be Naomi? And Naomi responds with understandable sorrow of a grieving wife and mother of two dead sons. She said to them in Ruth chapter 1 verse 20, Do not call me Naomi, which means pleasant or sweet. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Mara meaning bitter. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? Well, the story tells us that Naomi and Ruth returned to Bethlehem, just so happened, at the time of the barley harvest. And as we'll see, the timing of their return at the beginning of the barley, barley harvest was no coincidence at all. Because God is behind the scenes, providentially, wisely, directing, leading, prompting, and all at just the right time. And that brings us to chapter 2. Chapter 2 begins with some foreshadowing. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. We've got a relative, a wealthy man, a valiant man, a man of honor, a man of wealth and reputation. Will he be able to help these two vulnerable women? Ruth then asks Naomi if she can go and glean in the fields behind the reapers and in this way provide for her needs as well as Naomi's need for food. Naomi approves and so Ruth goes to the fields to glean. Now look with me at chapter 2 and verse 3. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Aha, here we are. She's somehow wandered into the field of Boaz, this 
close family member, a man of means, a man of reputation. She happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz. We might be tempted to say here, as luck would have it, but there is no luck in the Bible and there is no luck in life. This is divine providence that is always operating. It was always operating in Naomi and Ruth's life. It's always operating in your life and mine. It is God behind the scenes. And then in chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, we read this. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, May the Lord be with you. And they said, May the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? Boaz just happens to be coming to his field to inspect things, to oversee things at just the time Ruth is gleaning in his field. And he just happens to look her way and just happens to notice her among all the other people who were reaping and gleaning. Well, Boaz has already heard about Ruth's story and gives her special privileges in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, as well as verses 11 and 12, really setting her apart from the other ladies, giving her respect, giving her advantage. Ruth then goes home and tells Naomi all about her day and about Boaz's kindness. And Naomi informs Ruth that Boaz is actually a, a close relative, a kinsman redeemer, a goel. That's the Hebrew word, kinsman redeemer. Now, did all of this just happen? Was all of this just a happy coincidence? That Ruth just happened to be gleaning in the portion of the field that belonged to Boaz? No. The Bible teaches us that God is sovereign over all that takes place, over all that happens. And he is always at work, providentially working in our lives, all things and all things for our good. The big things and the small things, all things for our good. So if God is sovereign, wasn't all of this just going to happen anyway? I mean, couldn't Naomi and Ruth and Boaz just shift into neutral and kind of be blown along by the winds of fortune? No. Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz have their part to play, have their role to fulfill. They are real people with real needs, real desires, real motivations, real threats, real trials, real circumstances, making real choices, real decisions, performing real actions all perfectly in keeping with the sovereignty of God and his providential working. God, in the midst of the story of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz, is using all of these individual needs, desires, motivations, threats, trials, circumstances, and choices to bring about his good and perfect plan. 
And that's what he's always doing in our life as well. God is sovereignly in control of all things, but that does not negate our role and our responsibility to act. And that is what we're going to see this morning in Ruth chapter 3. Our responsibility in the midst of a world that is controlled by God and providentially guided by his hand. Ruth chapter 3, let me read for you verses 1 through 18, all right? Ruth 3, verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? Now is not Boaz our kinsman with whose maids you were? Behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight. Wash yourself, therefore, anoint yourself, and put on your best clothes, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. It shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will tell you what you shall do. She said to her, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law had commanded her. When Boaz had eaten and drunk his heart and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain and she came secretly and uncovered his feet and lay down. It happened in the middle of the night that the man was startled and bent forward and behold, a woman was lying at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your maid. So spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative. Then he said, May you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first, by not going after young men, whether poor or rich. Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask, for all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. Now it is true that I am a close relative, However, there is a relative closer than I. Remain this night, and when morning comes, if he will redeem you, good. Let him redeem you. But if he does not wish to redeem you, then I will redeem you as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning and rose before one could recognize her. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Again, he said, give me the cloak that is on you and hold it. So she held it and he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did it go, my daughter? And she told her that all that the man had done for her. She said, these six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said, do not go to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then she said, wait, my daughter. Until you know how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest until he has settled it today. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Lord, help us to trust you with every set of circumstances we face in life, knowing that you are the God behind the scenes, the God behind the scene. Help us to be active in doing what you've called us to do. Being obedient to who you've called us to be and how you've called us to 
live our lives. Lord, we pray that you'd convict us, Lord, where we have not taken responsibility for decisions and choices. Lord, give us wisdom and courage in the face of an uncertain future. And Lord, give us faith to believe that that uncertain future to us is absolutely certain to you. Help us to trust you and believe you. In Jesus' name, amen. So from this story this morning, I want us to see together three examples of how God's sovereign, providential rule in our lives in no way negates our responsibility to act. We're going to see it in three ways, in strategy, in activity, and in integrity. By the way, if you have the church app under sermon notes, I've got all these in the sermon notes, so if you're struggling not seeing it on the screen, you'll find it there in sermon notes. Three examples, let me say it again for you since we don't have a screen, three examples of how God's sovereign providential rule in our lives in no way negates our responsibility to act. And we're going to see this in strategy, in activity, and in integrity, all right? First of all, strategy. God's sovereignty does not eliminate the need for our own wise strategy. God's sovereignty does not eliminate the need for our own wise strategy. Ever since Naomi first heard about Ruth's experience with Boaz in the field, she has been thinking. As women always do. Boaz, such a nice man, such a good man, such a wealthy and prosperous man, such a single man, (laughs) a bit older than my Ruthie, but it could still work. So she speaks to Ruth. Ruth, is not Boaz our kinsman with whose maids you were? Boaz has already shown you kindness. He's already cleared the way for you and and made the task of gleaning easier for you and protected you and given you all of these special favors. He's our kinsman. And I happen to know where he'll be tonight. Well, Naomi is feeling the responsibility she has for Ruth to seek out Ruth's welfare and security, and in so doing, her own. Listen, my daughter, Boaz is our kinsman redeemer, our Goel, G-O-E-L, like the first Noel, but Goel. All right, G-O-E-L. Let me remind you what a goel is, a kinsman redeemer. The role of kinsman redeemer refers to the relationship of family members and the resulting obligation 
to care, protect, and provide for one's extended family. It's described in Leviticus 25. Acting as a kinsman redeemer might involve buying back the land of a family member who was forced to sell it. So that it stays with the family. So it stays with the clan. Or it may involve redeeming a family member out of slavery. Buying them out of slavery. When they were forced to sell themselves into slavery because of their poverty. In Deuteronomy 25, 5-10, it is used of a brother marrying his brother's widow in order to provide for the widow's needs and to produce offspring and to continue the family line through the deceased brother's lineage. The functioning of the kinsman redeemer is called leveret marriage. From the Latin levir, meaning husband's brother. The husband's brother or other close relative had a responsibility to marry his deceased brother's wife in order to preserve the family line as well as to preserve the family's property. Boaz, as far as Naomi knows, is this kinsman redeemer. He is the one. And while he is not Elimelech's brother, he is a close family member, perhaps a cousin. But the situation is made more complicated by the fact that Boaz seems to be considerably older than Ruth. And it's made even more complicated by the fact that Ruth is not an Israelite, but a Moabitess. This is not an easy situation. It's not a slam dunk. It's complicated, as relationships often are. Either of these situations, on their own right, might make Boaz hesitant to fulfill his role as a kinsman redeemer. She's so young, I'm so old. She's from over there, she's not Jewish. She's a Moabite. Together, these two issues posed a significant social hurdle in a shame and honor culture. So Naomi comes up with what sounds to us like a pretty strange strategy. And she shares this strange proposal with Ruth. Naomi says that Boaz will be at the threshing floor tonight. The threshing floor was a a public place, like a co-op for you farmers, where members of the community would gather together to process the grain that they had harvested. Perhaps this was, in Naomi's mind, the perfect place to carry out this plan. Ruth could go to the threshing floor And have a private audience with Boaz while everyone else slept. Something she would not be able to do if Boaz was in his private residence. This would also allow Boaz the opportunity to respond to Ruth's proposal privately, but not in a public space, 
not before prying eyes and listening ears. Thus preserving Ruth's reputation as well as Boaz's honor in case he, for whatever reason, chose not to be Ruth's kinsman redeemer. So what is Naomi's strategy? Ruth is to wash herself and anoint herself with perfumed oil. She was also to put on different clothes. Now some translations have her best clothing. I don't think that's exactly what's going on here. What Naomi is telling Ruth to do is to stop her season of mourning and grieving to change her appearance and manifest herself before Boaz as someone who is ready to remarry. That's what's happening here. And of course, part of that is to to look and smell attractive. That's certainly included. Ruth, having cleaned herself up and changed her appearance from the appearance of a mourner a grieving widow to the appearance of a woman ready to marry. Ruth was then to go to the threshing floor at night and wait until Boaz has finished his meal. Then Ruth was to pay close attention to where Boaz laid down to sleep. You don't want to get the wrong guy. This is critical. Then go to where he's sleeping and uncover his feet. And lie down near him. Then he will tell you what to do. He'll get the picture. He'll understand what's happening. And he'll take it from there. Now this all seems pretty strange to us. I don't know. Maybe this is exactly your story. (laughs) But in that culture, it was a clear and purposeful Proposal of marriage. And Ruth made it. Does that surprise you? What is clear here is that Naomi has a plan. She has a strategy. Naomi seems to have gone from a motionless, depressed, despairing person to being a person of activity and hope and planning and strategy. Perhaps Mara is becoming Naomi again. The bitterness is perhaps giving away to the light of hope. Perhaps her future won't be as bleak as she thought it once would be. God, who has dealt her a severe circumstance, may, from her perspective, be smiling on her again now that Ruth has caught the eye of Boaz, their near kinsman. God has sovereignly allowed Ruth to be gleaning in his field and to catch his eye. So Naomi here plans and strategizes the best way forward for both herself and Ruth. She knows that God is sovereign. She's confessed God's sovereignty in chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. 
But this belief in God's sovereignty did not deter Naomi from planning ahead and developing a strategy for bettering her situation. The scriptures clearly teach us that God is in control of all that happens, and yet it also commends those who plan ahead and strategize for the future. God's sovereignty never negates our responsibility to plan ahead. Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage, but everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. Proverbs 27, 23, know well the condition of your flocks. Pay attention to your herds. It matters that you take care of what you have, that you plan ahead for the future. For riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure to all generations. And of course, it goes without saying that when we plan and strategize as Christians, we're to hold our plans and strategies loosely, understanding that our plans may not be the Lord's plan for us, but that doesn't mean that we don't plan. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Proverbs 16, 9. We're not to be presumptive. Upon the Lord, we're, of course, to submit our plans to the Lord, but we're to have plans. It's good and right. We submit those to the Lord. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet, you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, your boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. So we plan. We submit those plans to the Lord. We hold those plans loosely. We understand that God is sovereign and he has the right and authority to overrule our plans. But we still plan. We still strategize. We still think about tomorrow and prepare for it. Sovereignty of God is never to be used as an excuse for poor planning or a lack of strategy for the future. We have a responsibility. And God is sovereign. So strategy, that's the first. Next we see it in activity. Activity. God's sovereignty does not eliminate the need for our own diligent activity. Look with me at verse 5. So Ruth said to her, All that you say, I will do. That is a great summary of Ruth's humble, obedient, submissive attitude throughout this story. But she's a woman of action. She went down to the threshing floor, just as Naomi had instructed her. After Boaz had eaten and drank his fill and laid down and fallen asleep, Ruth secretly came to the spot where Boaz was, uncovered his feet, and laid down at his feet. So what is with this custom of uncovering the feet? Well, some have said that this is just a euphemism for sexual activity. And that Ruth is actually 
uncovering Boaz's nakedness here. That she is making a proposal, not of marriage, but of sexual intimacy. But nothing in the text requires that conclusion. And in fact, the text argues against it. Boaz, in this story, affirms Ruth's character. Boaz is described as a man of character himself. And this man of character is now affirming, after she's uncovered his feet, affirming her character. So sexual immorality of any kind is not what is going on here. So what is going on here then? Well, some think that in uncovering Boaz's feet, Boaz would be slowly awakened as the coolness of the evening exposed his feet and woke him up. I guess it gives new meaning to the term getting cold feet. But in Boaz's case, his getting cold feet was intended to lead to marriage, not away from it. But this custom of uncovering the feet takes on more significance when we see what Ruth says in just a moment. Boaz is startled during the night. Perhaps because his feet were uncovered and you know he, he's kind of waking up. He's kind of stirring. And then he realizes there's someone near him. Someone who wasn't near him when he went to bed. Someone laying at his feet. Who are you? Now, at this point, Ruth is all on her own. She is, this is off script. I mean, Naomi couldn't, Naomi couldn't anticipate every eventuality, right, of a mission like this. Things are bound to go wrong. And so now Ruth has to speak. I mean, she, I mean Ruth was told, just do this, and then just do whatever Boaz says, because he'll know what to do next. But no, Ruth is faced with a question, who are you? Unable to identify this stranger, this visitor in the darkness, Boaz, Boaz asks, who are you? Look at Ruth's answer in verse 9. And she answered, I am Ruth, your maid. So spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative. Spread your covering over your maid. The word for covering can also be translated as wing. Spread your wing over me. It's the same word Boaz used in his prayer for Ruth back in chapter 2 and verse 12. I want you to turn there with me. I want you to see this. Ruth chapter 2 and verse 12. Boaz, having learned of Ruth's story and having heard of her diligence to provide for herself and her mother-in-law, having left her own country and having pledged her devotion to the one true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In Ruth chapter 2 and verse 12, Boaz prays a prayer of blessing over Ruth. And he says, May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Same word. So Ruth here... Back in chapter 3 and verse 9, 
Ruth is using the words of Boaz's own prayer as she proposes marriage to him. That's what's going on here. That's what Ruth is doing very clearly. She is, in effect, proposing marriage and asking Boaz to perform his duty as a kinsman redeemer, a close relative, to take her under his wing of protection, which would be an answer to his prayer back in chapter 2 that God would put his wing of protection over Ruth. God's wing of protection would be Boaz's wing of protection. Boaz would be the answer to his own prayer. What we see here in Ruth is someone who believes in God and God's sovereignty. And yet this belief does not rule out her own responsibility to take action. All of Naomi's wise planning and strategizing would have come to nothing if Ruth hadn't stepped forward and said, all that you say I will do. Ruth didn't sit around and wait and say, well, Lord, if you're going to make this happen, you, I'm just going to trust you and see what happens. Maybe Boaz will notice me again. No. She followed the Instructions of her mother-in-law, her authority in her life. She took action. She got busy doing what she knew she should do. Namely, follow the instructions of her mother-in-law, Naomi. Someone has wisely observed that it's a lot easier to turn a ship that is moving. Get going. Do what you know you should be doing. And trust God to use your actions to direct and lead your steps. Proverbs 10.4 says, Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Get going. Do what you know you're supposed to do and trust that God is using your everyday normal actions to bring about his perfect plans. God's sovereignty is never to be an excuse for our inactivity. Some of us suffer from analysis paralysis. We think too much. We analyze too much. Come up with a plan. Seek the counsel of wise people around you. Take appropriate steps. Take action. And trust that the Lord will use that to bring about his plan for your life. All right, finally, integrity. God's sovereignty does not eliminate the need for our own personal integrity. Now, both Ruth and Boaz are the picture of integrity in this chapter. We could expect a nighttime liaison like this to result in impurity, right? I mean, if Hollywood was making this story, they would botch it all up. But that is not what happens. Why? 
because both Ruth and Boaz are in this process committed to following the Lord and honoring Him. Whatever the outcome. Boaz affirms Ruth's character and godliness. Look in verse 10. Then Boaz said, May you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. Notice he calls her my daughter. Again, recognizing the age difference. Seeking to be pure in this relationship, even though they're meeting in a public place in the middle of the night, in hushed tones and whispers. He calls her my daughter. Still a a relationship of respect, of purity, of appropriateness. He's not offended by her proposal. In fact, he's honored by it. You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first. What is the first kindness? The way she cared for her mother-in-law, Naomi. Leaving her own family behind. Leaving her own gods behind. Her last kindness is better than the first. In that she did not go after young men. Whether poor or rich. Verse 11. Now my daughter do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask. For all my people in the city know what? That you are a woman of excellence. Ruth's reputation has preceded her. She is known as a woman of excellence in the village. That woman of excellence is the same term used in Proverbs 31.10 of that Proverbs 31 woman. An excellent wife who can find, for her worth is far above jewels. Now that is made all the more interesting when we consider the fact that in the Hebrew Bible, the book of Ruth follows immediately after Proverbs. And Proverbs 31 is the last chapter in the book of Proverbs. So what we have described in principle as an excellent wife is then demonstrated in practice through Ruth. Her faithfulness. Her faith in the Lord. Her diligence. Her work ethic. Her honoring of her mother-in-law Naomi and of Boaz. Boaz too is a person of integrity and great moral character in this scene. He protects Ruth by having her stay the night in the threshing floor and not sending her away. Keeping her within his care and reach so that he can protect her in the darkness. Verse 13. He then protects her reputation by sharing with his servants that no one is to know about her visit lest they get the wrong idea. Verse 14. He promises to fulfill his obligation to Ruth in being her kinsman redeemer. Verse 11. And yet he introduces this twist in the story. Seems like things are going wonderfully. But then he says, ah, but there's a closer relative than I. Where's this going to go? 
this closer relative, must be given the first chance to redeem Ruth. Now, Boaz may have been tempted to say, wait a minute. I like Ruth a lot. He clearly did. Oh, so there's a closer Goel in town. He doesn't even know. I'm sure he's not interested. Let's just go, you know, to the courthouse and get this thing taken care of. But that's not Boaz. He says, no. Propriety demands that we follow the appropriate chain of relatives. And there's a closer relative than I. If he will redeem you, fair enough. But if he doesn't, I will. And then in the wee hours of the morning, before sending Ruth home, Boaz pours out 60 pounds of barley into Ruth's cloak for her to take home to her mother-in-law as proof of Boaz's intentions. And Naomi received the message as it was intended. He is going to take care of this before the day is done. Both Ruth and Boaz trusted in the sovereignty of God, and yet that did not negate their own responsibility for personal purity and integrity. God's sovereignty does not negate our own personal responsibility. Whether that's the responsibility to strategize and plan for tomorrow or the responsibility to to act on that plan or the responsibility while acting on that plan, plan to show integrity in the way we conduct ourselves. We are responsible for these things, though God is sovereign. God is sovereign, so why pray? Because God has commanded us to. And God has revealed that the the way he brings about his perfect purposes in the world is through prayer. God has promised to answer our prayers. God is sovereign, so if I'm single, why put myself out there socially and get to know members of the opposite sex? Well, because you normally have to meet someone before you marry them. I mean, normally. So, strategize, clean yourself up, put yourself in situations where you can meet other Christian guys or girls, and yet maintain your integrity and purity. God is sovereign. If he wants me to have a job, he'll bring one my way. Well, yes, but you also need to hit the bricks and look for a job. God has commanded us to be diligent and to seek to live a quiet and peaceful life and work with our hands so as to not be in any need and to be able to share with others. Well, God is sovereign. You know, election, you know that whole thing? I guess I'm either in or I'm out. No. 
Yes, God is sovereign. Yes, election is true. And God commands all men everywhere to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Exercise your responsibility. Believe on Jesus Christ and you will be saved. If God is sovereign, then why did Jesus need to set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem and be a sacrifice for sinners? Why? Because we have our part to play in God's sovereign plan. And his sovereign plan, his providential rule over all things, never negates our personal responsibility. We make real choices. We have real desires. We can set real goals. We can pursue real opportunities. And that, too, is part of God's outworking of his perfect providential plan for us. All of that means that we can trust him. In every circumstance, we can trust that he's working through our desires, our choices, the opportunities he lays before us, and he's bringing about his perfect plan for our lives. He is good. Trust him and get busy. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us to balance these things, to understand that they are not mutually exclusive, your sovereignty and our responsibility. Thank you for practical, engaging examples of this in the lives of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. The strategizing, the planning, the humility, the submission, the wisdom, the activity of Ruth, the integrity, purity, and wisdom of both Ruth and Boaz in the moment. Lord, grow us in our faith that you are working out all things for our good. Help us to trust you, and yet, Lord, help us to ourselves be responsible for the parts you've called us to play. Give us wisdom in these things, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.